I would have been somebody if you'd asked before that I was like, yeah, I'm not a particularly anxious person. But if you'd asked the people in my life, they would have been like, oh yeah, he's got plenty of anxiety and this is how it shows up. <laughs> episode of Dear Men. Today we're talking about meditating and I would love to welcome Barrett to the podcast from Dating and Meditating. Welcome. We're glad to have you. Glad to be here. Yeah, so I think, um, you know, besides being, besides rhyming, there's a lot of ways that meditating can probably help with dating as well as relationships. And I'm just curious um, what your journey has been around the topic. Yeah, it's, it, well, it's an interesting question. Um, I, do you want me to start at the sort of where I am at the moment in terms of dating and meditating or before dating and meditating when I was merely a meditation teacher and it had, to, and had not that much to do with relationships? Uh, yeah, I would say before, maybe even before that, before you started meditating, what was okay. the difference in your sort of life and particularly relationship life before you started meditating and then after? Yeah. Um, I would say, um, the, well, okay. My difference in my life, um, pre pre meditation was, uh, that I slept very poorly and I had a lot of anxiety. Um, and, uh, once I started meditating, I started sleeping a lot better and I started to have uh, much more awareness of the levels of anxiety that I was experiencing. And then also started to see those, um, go down, um, and my, my uh, capacity for insight also went up. So um, in terms of where I was, how those applied to dating, um, I had a girlfriend at the time, uh, right before I learned to meditate, and she was great, but it was always a thing to like, how do we sleep in the same bed because I'm a light sleeper and I might not fall asleep. And there was all this stuff and it didn't put a strain on our relationship in a direct sense, but it put a strain on me, which put a strain on every aspect of my life. Um, as did, you know, anxiety and not being as keyed into my intuition, um, as I, you know, was, as I eventually became. Yeah. Can you say more about the anxiety? Cause I feel like that word covers so much of the human experience. Yeah, it does. It does. <laughs> like when you say anxiety, did you experience social anxiety, for example, or, you know, what was it like? Yeah. And sort of, you also mentioned something I thought was really important, which is you became more aware yeah. of your anxiety because I think yeah. a lot of us are just anxious all the time and don't realize it. So can mm -hmm. you talk more about that? Yeah, you know, as a, I, this is, uh, I think, part of, this is how things tend to unwind, which I have seen in my own experience and seen in many, many of my students' experiences um, as meditators, where we start meditating and it's not like a given issue that we have. Let's say we're, um, we're a little bit OCD, so we, we, we worry too much about, like, wh whatever, where we put the dishes back in the, in the rack before we leave our house to give you an innocuous example. And um, we're just doing that without awareness that it's a pattern that comes from anxiety. We're just doing it for whatever the reason is that we think we're doing it. Um, and when we 
have less stress in our systems, which is one of the main um, benefits of meditation, um, suddenly we often have an awareness that, oh, I, this is a pattern that I do. Not simply this is something that I'm just consumed with worrying about, but oh, this is something that I do. And it doesn't necessarily change, but the awareness that it is a pattern is the beginning of that beginning to shift. Um, so that's, and I've seen, uh, I've seen this many times that first there's awareness for first we have a problem, call it a problem or an issue. Second, we have an awareness that we have it, but the pattern doesn't change. And then over time, the pattern starts to get either less intense or less frequent or ultimately both. I love that. And so another example might be a man who tends to attract women who he feels used by. And at first it just happens. Mm. <laughs> he starts meditating and then he notices a pattern of like, oh, this has happened several times. This mm-hmm. is a tendency. And then you're saying that things can sort of shift instead of just being unconscious of it. Yeah. And, and I would say there are two things. So there is, we talk about this on my meditation course all the time. Um, people bring in a, a pattern that they would like to see a positive shift in, in their lives. So let's say it's that t- dating um, people who take advantage of them. Is that what, whatever it was you said, let's use that as an example. Um, and we have a conscious, we're, we're consciously bringing that into the conversation so that we can tease it out a little bit and understand a little bit about where it comes from. Um, the, where it comes from is important because usually those patterns were caused by a stressful or traumatic experience in our past. Um, and so the stress caused us to react in a certain way 20 years ago that was relevant at the time, but created a pattern that we have then been running since. And so now we're having the same reaction. Let's say he had a girlfriend who broke his heart 20 years ago, and then he developed this pattern. Um, he's now in every relationship he's having, he's protecting himself from having his heart broken by that girl 20 years ago, which is not a relevant reaction today. So two things happen um, in, uh, there are two levels to this. One, as we lower our stress levels, the stresses that cause this pattern in the first place start to leave the system. And when the stresses that cause the pattern leave the system, the pattern starts to change. So physiologically, that's what starts to happen. And when we bring our attention, our awareness to that the the fact that we have this issue, if you will, then we're doing in a benevolent way, we're kind of burning the candle from both ends. We're addressing the physiology and we're addressing the psychology. And those two things tend to move from the, from the, the different poles towards each other and create a positive differential, if that makes sense. And when you were going through this yourself, what, what did you notice? Because you said that you started to notice the anxiety mm-hmm. or I guess anxiety patterns. I'm not sure mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what were, were like a few examples of what you, know. yeah, it was a lot of worrying over stupid things, um, <laughs> you know, which in some ways is a definition of anxiety. Right. But um, it was a lot of worrying over st- stupid things. And I remember once I, I, I don't remember the exact example, but, but I remember being in my apartment and, and, and worrying about like, well, well should I do this, this or did and going, oh my God, like, why are you burning any calories about whether this happens this way or that way? It just doesn't matter. Just get out of the apartment. Just go, just leave where, you know, just get out and go, go live your life. And that was the first moment where I realized, oh my God, I, I have a lot of anxiety. 
I would have been somebody if you'd asked before that I was like, yeah, I'm not a particularly anxious person. But if you'd asked the people in my life, they would have been like, oh yeah, he's got plenty of anxiety and this is how it shows up. <laughs> so it was the first, it was me getting in tune with what everybody else already knew about how I was acting. Yeah, that's a great example. You know, because I think, yeah, the, just the blind spot thing of everyone else has mm-hmm. noticed. And you're like, no, I don't have any anxiety. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, okay. Why is it that you just crumpled up that beer can when I asked you that question? You know, like, <laughs> I liked what you said too about um, the worrying over little things. I, I, especially what you said of, should I do this now? Should I do that now? Should mm-hmm. I go to the event? Should I not go to the event? If I go to the mm-hmm. event, I might see this person and just that thought looping. I hear that from my clients a lot. I think a lot of people are having that experience and it really does consume a lot of energy. It consumes a lot of energy. In a totally inefficient way. In an inefficient way. That's not kind of building towards something. It's actually, it's actually hollowing out. It hollows out because it hollows out the present moment and you spend your time, you burn tons of calories speculating negatively about what might happen. And it never happens the way, even if it's the worst, you know, you do go to the party and it's the worst possible thing that could ever have happened. You never would have been able to speculate what that would have been. So it was still a waste of time to, to burn all those calories. So we're, and I think there's a deeper level to it as well. And this is not a criticism in any way, but that it is ultimately, it's a, it's about ourselves. So instead of being present in the moment here and now, in this moment, I'm worrying about what might happen in the future that ultimately will reflect badly on me, where people will finally see who I'm afraid I might be. And so the whole thing about the party and the, it's like, what's the worst thing that could happen? Oh, the worst thing that's happened is I'm going to talk to this guy who I like, and he's going to tell me that I'm an absolute troll as a human being. And I'm finally going to be validated in the most negative way possible that I am a, you know, a, a scar, a blight on humanity. I think, okay, well, that's probably not true. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a lot like, oh, it's cold outside. I'm going to open all the doors and windows to my house and turn the heat on max. Right. It's like, or even doing it in the summer. It's even, it's even that, that sort of silly. It's that pointless. It hollows at the moment, which is where life happens. And it puts our attention on a mystical future that is ultimately all about ourselves. It's, it's really, really um, uh, ineffective. Yeah. It's interesting. I had an acting teacher years ago who said, when you're nervous in an audition, it's because you are focusing on yourself. Mm-hmm. He said, there are two things you can do. One, breathe. Mm-hmm. Two, take the attention off yourself. That's right. So get curious about someone else in the room. That's right. Or the project or just take the attention off yourself. And I've used that any number of times yeah. to help. Yeah. Just kind of get into the moment. And that's, I don't know. That's helpful. It's- it's great advice. And so part of the reason that that's such good advice is that neurologically, you cannot be curious and be in fight or flight at the same time. They're, they're mutually exclusive neurologies. So if you are starting to get nervous, right, about doing this presentation or the audition, and you go, wow, the, you know, the art on the wall in this room is really good. Guess what? You have to be now with the art. And suddenly... Somebody else in the room is going to go, yeah, that's true. I wasn't actually looking at that. That's interesting. And now you're having a conversation which is collaborative with somebody else about something outside of yourselves, 
which is another definition of fulfillment. So it's a completely flips the script. So back to your story and your, um, your, the shifts that you saw, I'm curious what kind of meditation you were doing and sort of how long it took you to see shifts. Yeah. Um, I, I practice, I, I took, I took a, a formal course in Vedic meditation, V E D I C, um, uh, meditation in 2000 and it's either 14 or 15. Um, and, uh, noticed the, um, shift immediately. Um, I had a lovely weekend where I didn't sleep. I slept well, but not a lot. Although I was very present and awake the whole time, which was odd. I sort of was like, wait, I'm up at six o'clock in the morning, but I feel fun. I don't understand. Um, and, uh, from that weekend onward, um, was sleeping, uh, really well. So, um, and it's a practice where you meditate for 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes in the evening. Um, and that amount lowers your stress levels more than you're getting stressed faster than you're getting stressed. So you're ahead of the curve. Um, and that's what I was doing. Um, and it was a, it, I took to it like a, you know, like a duck to water. It just was, especially since I could sleep and I couldn't sleep before. And the, you know, anybody that can't sleep, if you start sleeping, you're just, you're sold. <laughs> right. That's such a good point because yeah. it's an important part of everything having to do with life. You know, you yep. lose faster, you can mm-hmm. think more clearly, just your whole life improves when you start sleeping. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and then what about in terms of your relationship? Were you still with the girlfriend? I think I was not with the girlfriend at the time. So I think I was, um, I was single. When, yeah, I was single when I learned to meditate. Yeah. And did you notice that it it affected your interactions with with women after that? Definitely. I, I it affected my interactions with everybody. Um and in again it's like it, it it's a sort of um there're two or it's a ratio between these two things of being more present um uh and or being more aware of why I'm not present if that makes sense. And so it wasn't like, one of the things about meditation is it's, it's very, very powerful. It also tends to be like, like the, the ocean on the beach. It it changes the shore slowly over time. Um, Every day is a little different and that's why you do it every day, but it tends not to be the like, bam, silver bullet. My life is different. And I frankly haven't found that many things in life that are silver bullets like that. Um, so there was a lot of, I'm happier, I'm in a better mood, I'm more capable of dealing with this circumstance, or very specifically, I'm just as upset as I always get about whatever this thing is that's setting me off. But instead of being bummed about it for the whole day, I'm, I'm, um, I have smoke coming out of my ears for 45 minutes. Um, that's a really important point, because yeah. I think what you're pointing to is resilience. Which and, is absolutely. And that's really like, cause if you spend the whole day angry that someone cut you off, yeah, it's, it's really going to impact everything that day and it's going to drain you. You know, like if you look at the cost benefit ratio, it's like if you can meditating and you're investing that time in resilience, it's just going to pay. It's like compounding interest. It's just going to pay you so much more than that initial investment. Because that's exactly right. 
That's exactly right. And there's a there's value to some degree in being upset. It's like, okay, you're upset, be upset, right? Don't try and stuff your emotion down. Like have the experience you're having. But like you're saying, then move on. Um, and in the case of the turnaround time, which is this is one of the great, great, great benefits of meditation, is something will happen. You'll have a breakup or you won't get the job, whatever the thing is, and you'll get the blues bad. But again, for, you know, a couple hours or a couple days instead of, you know, months, that's a huge, huge thing. And in those moments of upset, you're as upset as you ever were. You're as, your life failed you. Meditation failed you. Everything sucks. Everybody's stupid. You know, it's the same drill. It's just that it's 45 minutes of it instead of two and a half days of it. That is such a great point. I mean, that's just so realistic because I, I think there's some misconceptions about meditation, which I'm sure you get all the time. And that feels like one of them is that when you start meditating and then you're just in the natural, nothing ever affects you again. Yeah. <laughs> that has not been my experience, both personally and in terms of the, you know, the countless meditation teachers and students that I, that I know it's, it doesn't work that way. You don't become less human. You become more human. It, the good news is that being more human is actually a very optimistic concept. And so, you know, yeah, you have your, you know, you, you have your, uh, you have your moments. <laughs> it's you're, you're still here. It, life is still a contact sport. Can you speak a little bit since you are a meditation teacher and I'm sure you do deal with anxiety a lot in terms of the people you work with. Can you speak a little bit to anxiety and whether you've seen your students reduce the, the, the amount they're taking, things like that, um, and if you've had any experience yourself with it? Yeah, you cut out a little bit. You're saying speak to anxiety medication and, and yeah. results. Yeah. Um, I, I have never taken anxiety medication. Um, I've taken anxiety meditation. <laughs> Um, which, which long form has been very, very, very effective. Um, I definitely have students and know of students who weren't my students directly who um, tapered off of, uh, and tapered off is important, right? You don't start meditating. You're like, oh, I feel good. And just cold turkey, you know, it, this is, you, you, don't, you know, that you taper off in consult with your psychiatrist, not with your meditation teacher, who is probably not a doctor, right? Um, and they taper off um, mood elevators and Xanax and so on because um, your body is producing the chemistry that makes you happy. It, it is producing the chemistry that allows you to adapt to your circumstances um, endogenously, which means your brain is producing it itself. And it does that because you rest in a meditative state. You go into a state of deep rest, and that processes stress and that um, unique neurology meditation is a unique neurological state that unique neurology is a kind of um system upgrade if you will to your nervous system and so when you do that consistently your body starts to produce um the, the chemicals that make you feel um happier and make your brain function better and so on um then there's a feedback loop the person who was depressed was a little bit hard for some people to be around and, or their mom was worried about them, whatever the thing is. And then they're in a better mood. And when they walk into the room, their eyes are bright and their mom sees them and is like, Hey, how you doing? And all of a sudden 
there's a feedback loop from the world that is uh, either validating or you know affirming um, these benefits, and that also creates a, be- a, a beneficial um, uh, cycle, if you will. That's a really good point about the world and the feedback. That's a I hadn't sort of thought of it that way, but that's a really good point. Yeah. Um, yeah, something that I've noticed, um, and I think maybe you can speak to this um, sort of the ideas that come and the clarity that comes mm. when um, the thought loops aren't running so often. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a little um, loud. I don't know if you're moving the mic. Sorry, how's that? Okay, uh, that's good. Good. Um, yeah, there's something that happens when the thought loops, and it's not like the thought loops go away. It's just, it's almost like a percentage of time. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Exactly. Like 85% of the time, another person, 60% of the time. That's actually quite a dramatic shift. Absolutely. And the insights and the, the little thoughts and ideas and conversations that are possible then, I think can be pretty transformative. Have you also found that? Yes, absolutely. That's a really good question. So I don't know if you've ever, have you ever say gone for a hike um, in, in Joshua tree, for example, and you're walking around through these beautiful rocks and your head is down. You're kind of looking at your feet more or less or the path right in front of you. And you're doing a lot of thinking. And then you pick your head up and you look around and you start to just breathe. And all of a sudden, your mind is much more still, but your level of awareness of your circumstances just just goes through the roof. Have you ever had that experience? Yeah. Yeah. That is a meditative state. And so, and what happens is the reason that our awareness goes up is because thinking is not so much a state of awareness. Thinking is a, is a state of, in essence, kind of crunching numbers and ideas and whatever that we do in our head. We're all usually pretty good at that. When we shift from thinking mode to awareness mode, and breath obviously is a great tool for that, all of a sudden, we are simply soaking up our surroundings. And our surroundings are full of information. And our receptivity to that information is uh, is our our we are designed to be receptive to that information, but we have to get out of the realm of just bouncing around inside of our own brains, which is merely a self-referential kind of acrobatics, and get lower, get below that into a realm of awareness. And when we do that consistently, which happens when we are in a meditative state, um, the we go beyond thought, transcendental meditation to transcend. Um, thinking to transcend means to go beyond. We go beyond thought into a deeper realm of being. And it's being that is where that um, being is where that receptivity to our circumstances, um, to our environment comes in. And so by consistently going beyond thought, soaking for a, a meaningful period of time in being, we tend to connect our innermost architecture with the architecture of the world. And that's where the downloads start to come in. Um, so what you're talking about in terms of awareness, in terms of going beyond thought, that's exactly uh, what happens with meditators and the meditators that you know who have, people who have been doing it for a long period of time and also 
living responsible lives, <laughs> not just not just meditating and then drinking all night, but like, you know, engaged, responsible, um, evolutionary lives. Those are people whose intuition starts to become a really, really powerful tool because it's it's almost like a blind person, how well they hear. It's sort of your intuition starts to become this invisible thing that's like, whoa, okay, I got all kinds of information here and I'm just going to follow it. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I, um, I tell my clients a lot that I think our culture doesn't support men and intuition. When we mm-hmm. say more intuitive, we tend to mean the feminine. And I actually find that it's quite intuitive and especially like you said, conscious men who do uh, the work Mm -hmm. to be quite intuitive. And I'm wondering as a man, like what has been your journey around intuition and kind of claiming that, like, have you, do you find that to be true? I do. I I don't think intuition is a, is, is gender specific. Um, I think it's lumped together. Um, I think you're right that, both that men are not necessarily encouraged to be intuitive and that intuition is generally categorized as a feminine attribute. And because we live in a culture, in my opinion, that tends to, um, to diminish, um, the, the, the feminine, um, that the intuition in general is just like, Oh, well that's girl stuff. And you're not a man if you, you know, so, um, but I, I'm somebody who's highly intuitive and always have been, um, didn't really know that it was how I operated or had much of a skill set in terms of what to do with it until I um, became a Vedic meditator. And turns out there's all kinds of, uh, the, in the in Vedic philosophy, there's all kinds of... Um, uh, instruction guidelines. There's a whole worldview around intuition, where it's oriented in our physiology, in our lives, and how to um, and how to follow it. So um, it was, you know, it's like one of those things. It's like being a musical person, but having gone to some school that there was never a music class, and then all of a sudden you go to a music class, you know, you in college, and you're like, oh my god, this is what I'm going to major in. It's kind of like that. Um, so yeah, I don't think it has anything to do with gender. And I think that that anybody who, I always ask this question during my meditation courses, who here, uh, does anybody here would say that categorize themselves as not particularly intuitive? And there are usually some folks. And I said, okay, now that you have this practice, this is like taking um, steroids for your intuition. And then for those of you who are already intuitive, and there are always at least some, this is like taking steroids for your intuition. So wherever you are, you're going to become more intuitive with a consistent meditation practice. And what would you say in your personal experience, like what do you use your intuition for, especially around dating relationships or relating with others? Yeah, I, everything. I mean, the, the classic example is the red flags. You know, how many people, I want to say, especially women, just because I've had this conversation with more women, but where they're like, you know, we were going in the first six months, was great, but there were these three things and they kept coming up and I didn't listen. And guess what? That's what blew up in my face. Um, so, you know, he, he would just drink a little too much or she was, you know, she didn't tell the truth all the time or whatever the thing is. I'm making these things up. But um, 
those are classic, classic things of early on. We have a sense. We just have a sense and we decide not to listen to it because we're still running a spreadsheet in our minds. And it's the sense that turns out to be the defining factor, not anything on the spreadsheet. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I'm curious because, you know, I think this sounds like obviously everyone would, like if meditation were a pill, everybody would be taking it. Mm-hmm. What do you tell people who say, I'm afraid I'm going to do it wrong? I don't know how to mm. meditate. Because I, I think a lot of people have that. Obsession. Yeah, it's interesting. I say a couple things. One, they probably don't know how to do it correctly. <laughs> um, most people don't know how to meditate. Um, it's not hard to do, but it really, really helps, really, really helps if you, um, if you get uh, proper instruction. Um, th- and uh, one of the, uh, like the number one um, example of that is uh, essentially everyone thinks meditation is about trying to still your mind. And so they're like, oh, how hard can meditating be? I just close my eyes and I try and still my mind. Okay. So they close their eyes. They try and still their mind, however they're trying to do that. And maybe their mind is quiet for a few minutes. And then all of a sudden there's all kinds of thinking happening. And they go, oh, I guess I can't do this. I'm not a meditator. Um, And then they stop. That's such a common experience with people, um, in part because nobody has contextualized what the process of meditation is for and how it, and how those, uh, what, what, what the benefits of meditation actually are and how those benefits are achieved. Um, so it's not hard to do and people shouldn't be intimidated by it. It's easier than you think, but, um, it's a little bit different than you think, uh, to do it correctly. And can you like say a little bit more about what that means to do it correctly? Yeah. It, one of it is to, it means that so we rest deeply and we process stress, right? Those are the, the core benefits of meditation. Are we rest deeply, we process stress, and we, con- we, we soak ourselves in being, right? That's, those three things are everything that happens in meditation comes from those three things. Um, when we uh, process stress, the first thing that happens, we go into the state of deep rest, which means the heart rate slows down and the breathing slows down. Okay, great. Now you're in a meditative state. And then stress starts to leave your system. Stress doesn't just leave invisibly. Stress, the chemistry of stress, leaves our body physiologically connected to a thought, an emotion, or a physical sensation. And most of the time, it's a thought. So that quiet thing that people report, they're like, well, for the first minute or so, things were quiet, and then my mind got real busy. Guess what? What they're reporting is I closed my eyes, I thought a mantra, or I started focusing on my breath, and everything got really quiet and juicy. That's the deep rest phase. And then as a result of that deep deep rest, stress is released, usually uh, riding out on a thought, and then their mind gets busy. And they don't know that this is as natural and necessary a part of the process as the quiet mind, right? It's kind of like if you went for a jog, and you started sweating and nobody had ever told you that sweat was normal when you exercise, you might be like, why am I, why is all this liquid running down my forehead? It's kind of like that. So the first thing is that makes it easier is guess what? You're going to be doing a lot of thinking and that's okay. About half the time, give or take, you're going to be thinking, which is how you process stress. And so it's not whether you have this quiet, serene, blissful meditation, it's do you put yourself in a state of deep rest 
and uh, where you're processing stress and connecting with being. So those benefits then carry over into the rest of your day. Yeah, there's another couple of things I've noticed is, um, like you said, sometimes I will meditate and get really transparent. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'll meditate and like anger will come up. Mm-hmm. Kinds of emotions. And that's kind of what I mean about, I think people think they're doing it wrong when, when things come up. That's right. And, and it's a great question. Day one, and that they should have a quiet mind that still is awake. And if things come up, there's something wrong. Right. So, I feel like that's like, to me, that's the number one misconception. It was my false experience of meditation. I was like, oh, wow, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Better out than in is what we say. And, and, and yes, all of those are in some version of it inevitable at different times. And that's why you meditate in part is to process that gunk. So it's no longer in the system. So that anger or that um, stress from you know here or there is no longer defining how your uh, your ability to interact with people or to have a clear mind or whatever it is. We get that stuff out very efficiently during our meditation, and it comes up because we're 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 slowing our nervous system down so much more than we are in any other context. So yeah, it's like a healthy. It's like a schwitz for your nervous system. It's like, just ring this stuff out, get it out, say goodbye to it. If you feel like it doesn't matter, it's leaving anyway, and then go on with your day. Yeah. I love that. And so if people are listening and they're interested in getting started, what do you recommend? Um, I recommend, well, it's a good question. You can, you can do a simple meditation where you're putting your attention on your breath. And when your mind wanders, bring it back to your breath and you're not trying to breathe faster or slower. You're simply observing your breath. And that's a good, a good way to start. Um, Do it for at least 10 minutes and optimally for about 20 minutes and have a little bit of a transition period at the end where you just kind of let everything go, but keep your eyes closed. That's a good way to start. Um, and some people will do that and they're like, okay, great. And they'll stick with it for, for meaningful periods of time. Um, most folks will do that a little bit and then kind of lose the plot. Um, the best way to start is to, uh, is to take a a course from a teacher because the amount of people that this is myself included, I thought I was a yoga teacher, thought I knew how to meditate, went and took this course and was like, Oh my God, I had no idea how interesting it was, how nuanced it is, how simple it is, how counterintuitive it is here and there. There were a lot of things that I was like, I would never have figured this out on my own. So the best way to learn is like most things with a a good teacher. Um, And so you really learn it, which means you really get the benefits. And then they start to sell themselves because you're like, oh, I fight with my wife less. (laughs) Okay. Done. <laughs> you know, I sleep better. I can sleep in the same bed as my wife, whereas before I couldn't because I was always afraid of blah blah blah. So all of that stuff makes a huge difference. Um, can you say a little bit more about dating and meditating and what you do as we write? Yeah, yeah. So dating and meditating is a um, at the moment it's a monthly experience um, in LA, and um, so I'll give you an example of what we did at the at the last one. So we. 
get together in a, in a lovely space. And um, we have about even numbers of, of men and women. Um, the, 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 we do a, an exercise where everybody meets everybody in silence um, and they give a moment to, to connect. So all the men get to meet all the women and vice versa. And then we um, sit together as a group and we meditate for 20 minutes. There are lots of people there who are Vedic and TM meditators and then lots of people who've never meditated before. So we do the, they do the following the breath technique that I just described. And then afterwards, we have a conversation about a given relationship topic sometimes with an expert in the field. The next one, uh, we have a woman named Dr. Wendy Walsh from the Mating Matters podcast. She's, uh, she's our guest speaker. And um, we uh, have a deep um, and interesting conversation um, that is in part um, super uh, intimate and connected because we've all meditated. Um, and the, the overall... Um, uh, sort of MO of dating and meditating is to address um, the, the challenges of meeting people um, on three different levels. So on the first level, it's the practical. Where do you go to meet great like-minded people, conscious people uh, in your life? That turns out to be a real challenge for people. So we um, we solve that problem and we introduce you to everybody. So it's like, okay, boom, I've met everybody. Um, two, how do you enhance your relationship skill set? Because we're not taught how to have relationships um, in school, but it's an invaluable and necessary human um, skill set. So how do we improve that? So whether we're in a relationship or want to be in one, how do we get better at it? Um, and then three, on the deepest level, how do we address, shift some of the cultural programming that has told us all kinds of things about who we are, how men are supposed to be, how women are supposed to not be, um, et cetera, that may well not be true. Um, but if we're still living according to those principles, then maybe we're disconnected. Um, I, I would argue that a lot of those cultural principles, uh, cultural ideas disconnect men and women from each other. So if we can reprogram ourselves or deprogram ourselves to create space for, for men and women to naturally connect, then uh, you're going to be a lot more likely to find somebody. So how do we address from the most practical all the way to the deepest um, our sort of relationship conundrums culturally in uh, riveting, quiet, intimate, and, um, and super juicy um, atmosphere. That's basically what dating and meditating is. That sounds awesome. When is your next event for those of us that are in LA? It's January 28th, Tuesday, January 28th um, at 7 p.m. at Cross Campus, which is a co-working space, an event space in Santa Monica. Um, and the tickets are at uh, wedeepen.com which is W-E-D-E-E-P-E-N.com. Great. That's great. I, um, I'm going to start to wrap up here, and I'm wondering if you have any last words of wisdom for people that are just getting into meditating. Hmm. Um, I would say two things. Um, learn, learn it right, you'll get. It's kind of like taking guitar lessons, like, boy, will you make progress faster. Um, and it'll be much more uh, fulfilling. Um, and two, uh, learn it right and then do it consistently. 
um, that will make all the difference. And you'll have moments where you're like, oh, wow, if that person just cut me off on the highway, I, I would have normally been screaming at them. I didn't even really notice this time. You will, you will notice the difference. It's almost impossible not to. Yeah. And the thing I would add to that is, I think for me, at least it's kind of like going to the gym. It's better the more that I do it and mm-hmm. it's better the less that I shame myself if I haven't done it for a few yep. days. Exactly. Instead exactly. Of, I done it every day. It's like going to the gym, like, okay, I did it three days this week. That's pretty good. I'll do four yep. instead of I'm failing because I haven't done it every single day, especially at the beginning of the year when we make resolutions to drop them because we feel like a failure when really it's just try and do it a few days a week start there and 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 redefine what consistency means because i think a lot of people think consistency means i'm a navy seal and it's like guess what you're not a navy seal consistency means that when you fall off the wagon you get back on that's what it means it doesn't mean that you never miss a day we're all human you know and people travel and the holidays happen and your car insurance explodes in your face and you have to deal with it and go to the dmv like this is life um but it doesn't mean you start never meditate again because you had a shitty week you know it's you give your it's exactly what you say you don't shame yourself you give yourself all the space in the world and then you're like you know what i'm gonna meditate tomorrow morning and as soon as you do you're like "Ooh, that was really nice okay i'm gonna do that again (laughs) well thanks for coming on really appreciate it and i'm gonna mark that next thing on my calendar Absolutely. Hey guys, thanks for listening. Just again, a quick note. If you're interested in the course, you can find it at pleaseherinbed.com, www.pleaseherinbed.com or at my site, melaniecurtain.com under courses and have a very sexy day. <laughs>